says, thank you, words can say so little when someone does so much. Wish there were words to let you truly know how much your thoughtfulness is appreciated. Thank you. Thank you to GBFPC family for the cards, gifts, and love you shared in celebrating our 70th wedding anniversary. We love you all. Love the Wilsons. Amen. 70 years. Praise God. God is good to us. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter number 12 and verse number 22. Luke chapter 12, verse 22. I'm going to read a few verses here and then pick up some of the other verses that precede it. Luke chapter 12, verse number 22. And he said unto his disciples, therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what you shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Take no thought for your life, all these things, what you're going to eat, your body, what you're putting on, because life is more than those things. I want to speak to you for a few moments this morning on this subject, instructions and obstructions, instructions and obstructions. Lord, we thank you today. Stand in your house. We ask that you would direct us today to your word, strengthen us, provide to us what we need in these present times. We give to you thanks and we worship you and we ask these things in Jesus name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word you can be seated amen jesus in this passage in luke the gospel of luke is talking about priorities he's talking about what really really matters before he gives these words to his disciples there were some in a company that came and one in the company in verse number 13 said master speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Jesus said to the man, man who made me a judge or a divider over you. And he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them saying the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, so thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This man comes to Jesus and he wants there to be a settlement between his brother that has to do with his inheritance. He is concerned about it. He's worried about it. And Jesus launches into this passage of scripture and gives to us an insight into the man's mentality when he starts, Jesus starts talking about covetousness. This man was worried about his goods. He was worried about his inheritance. 
And Jesus launches in, pinpoints the actual problem, and lays out for us a parable about how we should prioritize the things in life compared to the things of God. I want to present to you today, this morning, that the things of God are greater than the things that are in this life. I know we have to work, we have to sustain ourselves, we have to feed ourselves. There's occupations and educations that pursue those occupations and all that goes along with that. There's trades, there's a lot of things, but ultimately, what we're doing in the house of God today is more important than what we do every single day in our occupation. Your soul is more important than your work. Praise God. The kingdom of God is more important than the mundane elements that are in this world. I want to say to you today that we're in the world, but we are not of this world. And in the house of God today, I feel a little touch of heaven in this place, and I'm thankful for his presence and his spirit and his anointing. Hallelujah. Praise God. Feels good in the house of God here today. There was something that the man wanted Jesus to leverage, and he wanted Jesus to leverage the discussion. Material things were driving his motives, and he was prone to covetousness versus worrying about not having enough. And so he was concerned about his goods. I want to be rich toward God and not rich for myself is what Jesus was driving at. Jesus wasn't condemning riches. He never does condemn riches. It's not money that is the root of all evil. It's the love of money. There is nothing wrong with having good things. And I'll say this as well. God intends to bless you. The people of God should be a blessed people. Hallelujah. We shouldn't wander around in rags and poverty. God wants to bless us, and he wants to give to us the good things that are in life. But before we can ever get there, we have to understand that God is first. The kingdom of God is first. My tithes and offering that I pay to him is a recognition that he's first. And then the blessing starts being poured out. Will a man rob God? Hallelujah. If you give to God, God opens the storehouse and gives to you a blessing and pours it out onto you. I'm not talking about a charismatic blessing where you blab it and grab it. I'm talking about truth that becomes a power and a strength to you that gives you the ability to be a blessing to yourself and to others. Amen. I want to be a blessing not only to myself, but I want to be a blessing to other people. As well, I want to be rich toward God. I want my attitude to be that way, and so I want my priorities to be right. We live in a world presently that is so full about worry. It's worrying and being anxious about stuff, and then God gets left out. I want to tell you here today, this morning, that an apostolic church needs to be a place where people can come into this house and be strengthened to face all the stuff they face outside the church building. I'm a firm 
proponent that if the world is in, in confusion and difficulty, you need the house of God, you need the people of God, you need the word of God to help you so you don't live in constant fear every single day when you open the door or don't open the door and you try to live your life and everybody wants to compound fear and anxiety that then leads to depression upon you. We don't need that. We need joy. We need peace. We need strength. We need the Holy Ghost. We need to trust in the healer, the maker, the king, the Lord of all things. So the world is full of worry, very much so. We live, this has become the culture of our world to live in fear. And in the midst of that, God gets left out. It's a sad state of affairs that so many churches have closed their doors. And it has not helped people at all in this discussion about anxiety, worry, and depression. It has not helped. Jesus is pointing out to this man who is wanting him to leverage the conversation. And he is saying to the man that anxiety is foolish because life consists of far more than what one eats or wears. It consists of something that is greater. Previously in the chapter, he told the disciples, I'll take care of you because I'm your heavenly father. If I take care of the birds, then I'll take care of you. He pointed out that worry is foolish because worry cannot change the situation. People that worry all the time, worry all the time, it's not going to change the situations. That's not going to work. I'll tell you what will, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but I just want to interject it here. Rather than worry, you need to pray about it. That's what you need to do. Take it to the master and say, I can't carry this. I'm giving it to you, and then I'm going to trust you. Worry is foolish because it does not change the outcome. And finally, Jesus said worry is foolish because worry is of the attitude of the pagans. Jesus was saying if you're a child of God, you should not be one that overtly worries about stuff to the point that it damages your relationship with God because God is the life-sustaining force that gives you the ability to trust in him. And so if you're constantly worried all the time, Jesus would speak words to us presently in this day and age. He would say, that's for the pagans. That's not for the believers. The believers have a faith in an object called Jesus Christ that no matter what happens, I know he's going to be a provider. I know he's going to be a strength. I am not trusting in governments. I'm not trusting in men. I'm not trusting with all the other people that have a, a say into the environment and the context and the culture. I'm trusting in God today. I'm standing upon the foundation of God's strength. It is foolish to worry because that's the wrong attitude. If you're full of the Holy Ghost, you shouldn't be worrying about every little thing. If you're full of the Holy Ghost, you should walk with confidence, not in fear, not in intimidation. You should influence the environment that is around you. You should influence the attitude that is around you. I'm trusting God. I'm believing in God. I'm walking by faith. My head is up. My shoulders are back. I know that God is going to take care of me. 
Hallelujah. Clap your hands unto the Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for your strength to us, and we stand in need of it today. Praise God. Luke chapter 12 and verse number 30, Jesus finally says this, For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that you have need of these things. <laughs> but rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. When you put God first, everything else that you're working on falls into place. But if you're so caught up in what you're doing that you leave out God, it, it's not going to work out very well. But when you put God first, his word is true. These are not my words. They're his words. And his words are, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. I'm going to put God first in my life. Hallelujah. And know that he is going to direct me to all the other good works. Jesus said, you should not fear. He compared them to a little flock seemingly defenseless that could be preyed upon. And then to make them even more defenseless, he said, sell your possessions and give to the poor. And his point to his followers was this. You have treasure on earth that they should walk away from and instead insisted that they should have treasure in heaven which is safe from theft and decay by moths and corruption, and in that you would be rich toward God. Amen. That you as a disciple, should, you should have more attention with matters pertaining to the kingdom than wandering around in a state of worry. There's a lot of stuff that goes through our minds on a daily basis, from bills to work to school. This, that, there's all this stuff that we're thinking about, money, and all the things that we have to do and not do. We're worried about first impressions and political correctness and saying the right things and identity theft and contagious infections. There's a lot that could worry an individual. I want to say this morning, worrying is not good for you. It is destructive in many ways. It becomes a mental burden that can even cause us to grow physically sick. The wise man in Proverbs chapter 12 verse 25 said, Worry weighs a person down, and an encouraging word cheers a person up. I'm preaching today, leave your worry behind and cheer up, brothers and sisters, <laughs> because there is a God that is bringing good news. You can be saved from your condition. You can repent of your sins. You can be baptized in a great name that's above every name, and you can receive the Holy Ghost. This is... Good news. Presently, I'm reading a book that is a, a great, great read. I would encourage everyone to read it if you read for personal development. This is a great book. It's called The Coddling of the American Mind, How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure. And it's trying to. I've often considered and thought and wondered how are we where we are 
And what are the factors that lead <coughs> to all of that? And this book tries its best to piece them all together by looking at a variety of factors. Many times the education system is pointed out as being the problem. Uh, this particular book, The American Mind, The Coddling of the American Mind, the authors look at a particular generation, and it's the iGen generation. It's the generation since 2007 that has grown up not knowing anything other than a cell phone. And so their generation that that's always been with them. They're different than the millennial generation, which is the generation before them. They are, th there's, there's a lot of things that they do that is much different than a previous generation. They're constantly connected to social media, and there are some pros, but there's some major, major cons. And some of the problems is that parents have become overprotective of that particular generation. They're waiting much, much longer to do some things. And then when you take that uh, safetyism, over safetyism, and then you put it into a secular education like academia, then they try to protect that group and in the process of trying to protect them only make the problem worse. And in this particular book, there were some quotes that popped out at me that I want to present to you today. Depression and anxiety tend to go together. Worry and depression and anxiety go together. Both conditions create strong negative emotions which feed emotional reasoning. Anxiety changes the brain in pervasive ways such that threats seem to jump out at the person, even in ambiguous or harmless circumstances. Anxiety, even if it's harmless, it's, it may be ambi and ambiguous. A person may not even be trying to make a statement or a problem. We've, we've seen this where all of a sudden there's a huge mob outside because of what somebody put in an email or what they, what they said. Compared to their non-anxious peers, anxious students are therefore more likely to perceive danger in innocent questions. This is why they're led to embrace the concept of microaggressions. They're anxious, they're more likely to perceive danger in innocent questions. Or in a passage of a novel, leading them to ask for a trigger warning. Or in a lecture by a guest speaker, leading them to want the lecturer disinvited for someone to create a safe space as an alternative to the lecture. So anxiety produces all of these things. And that particular generation that is now in academics is a generation that we see a lot of these things rising to the surface. They're anxious. They're stressed. They're worried. And then depression distorts cognition too. It gives people much more negative views than are warranted about themselves, other people, the world, and the future to where now everybody is an enemy that doesn't think the same way that they think. I want to tell you we have a great opportunity right now in this world to be the church. Praise God. You say something to me, I'm not going to get offended and all of a sudden paint you out to be the boogeyman. I'm going to look at you as someone that needs the mercy, salvation, and strength of the Lord. We are not drawing a circle around the church and then saying we're not going out into our community. The T-Rocket vans are going out into the community, bringing people into the house of God because we recognize there's an opportunity here to be the church of God, the people of God, and do the business of God.
problems loom larger and seem more pervasive. One's resources for dealing with those problems seem smaller, and one's perceived locus of control becomes more external, all of which discourages effort to act vigorously to solve problems. When, when people get anxious and worried, they're less inclined to work and put into action something that solves the problem. Repeated failures to escape from what is perceived to be bad situations can create a mental state that psychologist Martin Seligman called learned helplessness in which a person believes escape is impossible and stops trying even in new situation where an effort would be rewarded. You can't stay in a state of learned helplessness. Learn helplessness says there is no there is no solution and there's no way out of this and I don't know what to do and and so I'm I'm constantly in a state of anxiety and depression. Praise God. Thanks for the word of God that says, wait a minute, wait a minute. There is an opportunity. There is a way out. There is a solution. And it's not by my own words or abilities, but I know one that is greater. I know one that brings power and anointing and strength that, that can pick you out of your helplessness and give you the strength and power that you need to pursue and be what God called you to be. And he called you to be a child of God. Don't be defined by the world that is around you. Be defined by the love of God that reaches out, that draws you, that dies for you, that covers you in a blood that is effective, that cleanses you and gives you the ability to be in the house of God today. When people are depressed or when their anxiety is extreme, their threat response system is on high alert. They succumb to a hostile attribution bias, which means that they are more likely to see hostility in benign or even benevolent people, communications, and situations. Misunderstandings are more likely and more likely to escalate into a large scale conflict all because of the mentality that I've got about everybody else. Listen to me very, very carefully here. I know that we live in a crazy world, and if we're not careful, we will become jaded. There are going to be things that you say that other people perceive as trigger warnings. They may call you all kinds of names. They may blow up. The response is far beyond just the, the small little innocuous statement that was made. Don't lose your cool. Don't blow up. Don't fall apart yourself. Just have the love of God and the peace of God and extend the olive branch and say there is a God that is greater. There's a God that saves and redeems. Hallelujah. And there is a God that heals we cannot become what the world is we've got to be better than that because we're walking in the shoes of Jesus Christ we're wanting to be conformed into his image I want to bring healing to the world I want to bring a positive understanding to the world I want to bring an attraction to the power of God this is why church has got to be powerful this is why the move of God must 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 take place it's not an option every time we come to church there's got to be a move of God's spirit that reaches out to people 
Worrying is the opposite of trusting God. It's rooted in not knowing the outcome of the future. It's trying to control things that you can't control. Amen. There's some things you have to just trust God. <laughs> Praise God. You can only control what is happening right now. You can't control yesterday. And you're not going to be able to control tomorrow. You can only control what is presently happened, happening. And your response has to be to what is presently happening. Well, I'm so worried. Mom, you got to stop worrying. <laughs> Son, I'm worried about. Mom, you can't control that. Just trust God. If something happens, it's going to happen, and we're going to have to deal with it then. And know this, that God's going to walk with us through that difficulty. Praise God. Hallelujah. I'm going to wrap all of that up and put it in the King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm going to put it in his hands. So you can only respond to the things that are present. And there's some things that you know you're having a rotten day because they're, they're very prevalent and, and, and available to you. One person said, you know, you're having a rotten day when you wake up face down on the pavement. Or you call the suicide prevention and they put you on hold. Or your birthday cake collapses from the weight of the candles. Or you turn on the news and they're showing emergency routes out of the city. Or your twin sister forgot your birthday. Or your car horn goes off accidentally and remains stuck as you follow a group of hell's angels on the freeway. Or your boss tells you not to bother to take off your coat. Or the bird singing outside your window is a buzzard. Or you wake up and your braces are locked together. Or you call an answering service and they tell you it's none of your business. Or your income tax check bounces. Or you put both contact lenses in the same eye. Or your wife says, good morning, Bill, and your name is George. These are... Th <laughs> These are things that you're going to have to deal with right then and there. But it's not going to do you any good to worry about it. You can't put it into the future and you can't change the past. But you absolutely can change what is happening right now. And if you're sitting there right now and you're worrying about stuff in this service right now, while well, I'm preaching to you about worry, I'm telling you, you need to trust God and say, God... You see this problem and how big it is, but I'm going to put my confidence in you. You said that you're a God that brings peace, that passes all understanding. I'm going to rest in peace today. I'm going to rest in the confidence that I can put my trust in you. Hallelujah. Hello, somebody in this place today. Cast your cares upon him because he careth for you. God knows what you face. God knows what you're dealing with. And he loves you. Hallelujah. Let's agree together with that right now. God knows. God cares. I'm casting my cares upon you today. That's why Philippians chapter number four, verse six says, be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. The energy we spend worrying can be better put to use in prayer.
And a formula that is powerful is worry replaced by prayer equals trust. And there's some things that I simply have to trust God with. Amen. Worrying puts your focus in the wrong direction. James Treslow Adams said, The freedom now desired by many is not freedom to do and dare, but freedom from care and worry. There's some things I have to put into action. Jonah almost missed out on a great revival because he was worried about what Nineveh might think. <laughs> he almost missed out on a great revival. Jonah, who's Jonah? Jonah was a prophet. God sent him to Nineveh. It was a terrible city. They were godless, and Jonah refused to go. He didn't want to go because he was afraid of what? Their response would be, they don't like God. They don't want God. Why are you sending me to a place that doesn't want anything to do with God? I guarantee you there's some people out there that are looking for God. And if you're not careful, you'll close the door to everybody. And there's somebody in that grocery store that's looking for an invitation to the house of God. Praise God. There's somebody in the Hodel's buffet line that would love to come to the house of God, and all they're waiting for is for somebody to give them an invitation. But if you think that everybody is just against God, against faith, doesn't want God, isn't interested in God, you're probably going to miss out on an opportunity of somebody saying, you know what, why didn't you tell me before now? Because I've been in misery. I'm wandering around in this barren desert, and thank God there's a stream in the desert called an apostolic church where the peace of God and the strength of God flows in the house of God. God, help us, help us, help us, help us to be sensitive to our environment and people around us. Help us not to close off people because of what we think, but help us present the word of God and then trust that you know what you're doing. Put it into action. Recently, licensed pilot was flying his private plane on a cloudy day. And this is my title. That's where it comes from. He was not very experienced in instrument landing. So when the control tower was to bring him in, he began to panic. And a stern voice came over the radio and said, you just obey the instructions. We'll take care of the obstructions because we're the control tower. So we can see all of the obstructions. We've got a reading on all the weather patterns. We know all the obstructions that may stand in your way of landing the plane. All you need to do is follow the instructions. Do what you know to do, and we'll take care of the rest. And that's what I'm preaching here this morning. Follow the instructions that are in the Word of God, and God will take care of all the obstructions that may stand in your way. Praise God. I'm not, I'm not worried about the obstructions. What am I going to do? How am I going to deal with this? I'm so anxious. I don't know what to do. I'm just going to follow the Word of God, and I know that God's going to go in front of me, and every obstruction that stands in the way, God's going to take care 
of it. No weapon formed against me shall prosper because God is in control. Hallelujah. Come on, let's praise him together. Have you ever been in a battle or been in a fight and God took care of the problem as long as I follow what God intends for me to do? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, give God praise. Hallelujah. I don't care what you're facing today. There could be some great obstacles. But God's a God that'll take care. He'll take care of the obstacles if you'll follow the instructions. <laughs> and the instructions this morning are, don't worry, don't be anxious because your heavenly father knows exactly where you are. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Just trust God with the obstacles and follow the instructions. Praise God. I'm not wandering around not knowing what I should do because I've got the word of God that directs me and guides me, that provides a word to me about every situation in life. I'm not nervous, afraid, scared, because his word says that he is in ultimate control. He's the one that wins the battle. He's the one that wins the fight. When it's all said and done, God's the one that wins. And the enemy, the dragon, the accuser of the brethren, he's the one that loses. Praise God. Just obey the instructions. We'll take care of the obstructions. I wish I could break through. Stop wishing it and do it. I wish I could receive the Holy Ghost. Receive the Holy Ghost. I wish I could overcome this problem. Overcome the problem. Hallelujah. Don't stand there and just look at it, but move into action. Amen. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Resist steadfastly. Stand up and say, I am not going to be driven by things that are projected that are not even real that then move me into a period where I'm looking at everything and there is no hope. The word of God says that he gives to us a hope that maketh not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of what God has done. I'm not going to worry about the mundane. That's the pursuit of the world. But I am going to get buried with the details of life. I'm going to get Buried, and I'm going to put into action the things that pertains to the things of God because I know that God's going to work it out. Trust in the Lord and lean not to your own understanding. Trust, I say, in the Lord. Some musicians come this morning. I will not worry, I will not doubt. God knows the problem and he will work it out. I know my God is able to provide all we require. So I shall continue lifting praises 
higher and higher. <laughs> God is so loving, gracious, and kind, and he places within me such perfect peace of mind. I shall not get discouraged nor give in to doubt. I trust in God. I know he'll work it out. Nothing at all is impossible for God. So why I used to worry about things now seems so very, very odd. Praise God. What am I doing? I'm trusting in God. One of the greatest examples of an individual that trusted in God without the obstacle, but he followed the instructions he, he could have. He could have been stymied by anxiety. Praise God. And th let me just interject right here as well and say that anxiety and worry is a real thing. You can't bury your head in the sand and act as if it doesn't, it's not there. It is there. And it is a thing. And so is depression. I'm not casting light on any of those things. I'm just saying there's a God that's greater than those things and he can give you peace in the midst of any storm. Praise God in any difficulty. <clears throat> Abraham in chapter 15, verse number 6. Could have stumbled <laughs> at the obstacle. Scripture said he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought you out of the earth of the Chaldees to give this land to inherit it. And Abraham said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? How do I know? And God said unto him, take a heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against the other. But the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. He made a sacrifice and a commitment to God on that day, and he stayed up late into the night driving the buzzards off of the sacrifice that he, he followed the instructions that God gave to him. And when it came time for God to say, in a test of faith, take Isaac up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice your son, could have been an obstacle. He could have stopped him. He could have, he could have activated worry and anxiety but of anybody in the scripture that I have seen that was so resolute in trusting God and following the instructions it was Abraham Abraham said I'm going to follow the instructions of God and let God worry about the obstacles even to the point where Isaac is on the altar and his hand is stayed because an angel in the thicket said hold your hand God is preparing for himself a sacrifice. And now, Abraham, I know you're a man of faith because you are willing to follow the instructions and not get sidetracked by all the obstacles. I want to tell you in the house of God today that we are children of Abraham. We are children of Abraham. I'm going to put my faith in God. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to follow the instructions. I'm not going to be distracted by everything else that is around me.
going to activate and put in action the work of God. Amen. As we stand together in the house of God today, I want us to gather around in this front area, in this well area today. Amen. Step out of the seats where you are. Hallelujah. We're humanity. I'm not discounting all the obstacles. They're there. I'm not discounting some of the mental anguish that individuals face, but praise God in the house of God today. I know that there is a God that is, uh, he's greater than any obstacle. Hallelujah. Some things that I can't understand or get my head around, I simply lay them at the feet of Jesus and Calvary and say, God, I'm trusting you. I'm believing in you today. And I'm going to follow the instructions that you give to me. I'm going to follow your word. I'm going to be directed by your word. Hallelujah. Come on with uplifted hands and a voice here today. I want you to make that commitment to God. No matter what comes my way, God, I'm going to trust you. Trust you.